It's good to see you guys today. Glad you could be here. In a few minutes, I'm going to read a pretty long portion of God's Word. It's pretty long. It's from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, and in it, you're going to hear these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And here's the part I want you to think about today. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Some people take that very seriously. They actually make these little boxes that have a teeny tiny little scroll inside with God's word on it. And they put the scroll in the box and then they put a headband on and they tie the box to their forehead. And then they put symbols with God's word on their hands so that every time they do something with their hands, which is a lot, right? You do things with your hands all the time, right? Every time you'd see your hands, you'd see a symbol that would remind you of God's word. And every time people saw your forehead, they would see God's word. Do you think that's what God meant? Do you think he meant we should actually take a Bible and maybe get a belt or something and tie it to our foreheads and walk around with Bibles stuck to our heads? Do you think that's what God meant? Not really. Could you do that? I I guess. But what did God want? He wanted you to think about God's word all day long. Every time you see your hands, to think about God's word. And if a Bible was strapped to your forehead, what would other people think about every time they saw you? They would think about the Bible, right? They would think about God's word every time they saw you. That's kind of the idea. God wants us to not just think about his word for an hour on Sunday morning, He wants us to think about his word all the time. To think about what his word says about how we don't always obey our parents the way we should, how we sin every single day. To think about his promises to send a savior, to to think about Jesus, the one, the son of God, who came to this world so that we could have peace with God, so that all of our sins could be forgiven. That's not something for us to think about every once in a while. That's something God wants us to think about all the time. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like to have one God in our life. Not many gods, one God. To go home and to talk about God's word with our family, to talk about God's word with our friends, to think about God's word all the time. Let's say a prayer and ask God to help us do that. Heavenly Father, we might not have a Bible with us all the time, We may not read your Bible all the time, but we can think about your word all the time. We can think about who we are as sinners and what you have done to save us all the time. We ask that you would help us to to think about your word more often, to think about who we are and to think about who you are, to, to think about the seriousness of our sin, but to know how serious your love for us is that you would send your own son to be our savior from sin. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. The portion of God's word that we will focus our attention on this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, 
The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. This is the word of our God. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Camping. It's a favorite way of many Americans this time of year to spend their their free time. Some still like to pitch the tent. We'll do that a couple times this summer. We got one big enough to fit the whole crew. Some like to tow the RV or the camper. Camping's fun. You can go to a different place every time. You could go to a state park, you could go to a national park, you could jump from one little rural campground to the next. You could find campgrounds that have a few more of the blessings of life, electricity, showers, or you can really go rustic. Camping's fun. But how would you like it if that was all you knew? If you were 40, 50 years old, give or take, And all you knew was camping. Your house was a tent. And day after day, you'd take the tent down and pack it up. And then you'd pitch it, sleep, pack it all up again the next day, get to your destination, pitch the tent, sleep, day after day after day. Would you like camping then, if it was all you knew? Deuteronomy is like a catechism. It's a summary of 
everything the Israelites knew about who God is and what he had done and what he had promised. And it's the words that God spoke to his people through the prophet Moses as they were about to enter the promised land at the end of 40 years of camping. God had brought his people out of slavery in Egypt with his mighty hand and he had defeated the entire Egyptian army, one of the most powerful nations on the earth at that time. God had defeated them. It wasn't the sword of Israel's mighty fighting men. It was God who did that. He's the one who parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could pass through. He's the one who allowed the sea to crash over the army of the Egyptians. And about a year and a couple months after they had left Egypt, God said, it's time to go into the promised land. And you might remember from Sunday school a story of 12 spies, one from every tribe, They sent them into the land that God had promised on oath to their forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And they went in and 10 of the spies came back saying, "Uh uh-uh, they're too big, they're too tall, they're too strong, the walls are too big, too thick, too strong, we can't do it. And I suppose in a sense they were right. They couldn't do it. But the thing they forgot was they had the Lord. The Lord Almighty the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies on their side, the one who had already defeated one of the most powerful nations on earth, if he said the land was going to be theirs, well then of course the land was going to be theirs. Only two trusted the Lord, Joshua and Caleb. But everyone else doubted. And so the Lord sentenced them to 40 years of camping. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, we're told that all the fighting men were dead. So all the guys who walked out of Egypt, able to fight, able to go into the promised land and fight the battles that the Lord was going to send them to fight, all the people who doubted died. The only two who were left were Joshua and Caleb. And so before the Israelites before a whole new generation stands Moses. And before this generation of fighting men who didn't really remember what the Lord had done, God teaches. He summarizes everything, a catechism of sorts, to to bring up to speed the next generation so that they could learn all that God had done. Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and and Numbers, the people who came up out of Egypt had been learning that their whole lives and many of them lived much of those books. But now in Deuteronomy, all of this is being summarized for those who didn't live it, for those who weren't there, for those who didn't see, for those who didn't hear. The Lord is reviewing everything and he's got some really important teaching for them in today's text. Because as people who only knew camping, they were about to follow, they were about to enjoy a new way of life, a life of luxury, and they were going to face temptations they could not dream of. They were going to live in cities that they did not build, full of houses with all these good things in them that they did not provide And they were going to be able to go to the well and get fresh water whenever they wanted. And they were going to go into the city and there were going to be markets full of all kinds of food 
No more manna and quail. All sorts of choices. And there were going to be these vineyards that they didn't plant with grapes that they could eat and turn into wine. Wine to gladden the heart of man and, and increase their celebrations of freedom. And then the olive groves. Don't belittle that one. Because we might just use it to saute our vegetables and our boneless, skinless chicken breasts, but they used it for much more. Because not only could the olives become a part of a very rich diet, the oil was the finest of lotion. Can you imagine how cracked your hands would be? How calloused your hands and feet would be if you spent 40 years camping? This was going to be a life of luxury that they had never known. And so God goes to the first commandment. The very first commandment. You shall have no other gods. And as Martin Luther famously taught, if you want to teach people that they shouldn't have other gods, you need to make sure they know what other gods are. Other gods are any source of good things or comfort. Any source of goodness or comfort can be a god. And God knew that this new generation was about to walk into a circumstance in life that would make their temptations for idolatry, their temptations to follow other gods, shoot through the roof. Because they were going to have sources of goodness and comfort all around them like they had never dreamed of. And the temptation was going to be to, <clears throat> to find their goodness and their comfort in the cities and in the homes and in the markets and in the wells and in the wine and in the olive oil. To find those things, those places, the people around them as the sources of goodness and comfort in their lives, they were going to be tempted to become idolaters. And so God teaches them about the dangers. He warns them. He reviews the basics of the first commandment. As Americans, we can relate to this. There's a lot of homes that have recreational toys in the backyard or in a special garage or next to the house. It's not just the campers and the RVs. It's the boats and the jet skis and the UTVs and the ATVs and the snowmobiles and all of these toys and all these things that we use and that are so much fun. The, the, the second home the camper, the campsite, all these places, things that we just love. But if we're not careful, the things themselves, the places themselves, they easily become the source of blessing, the source of comfort. They become gods. The houses that we buy, the houses that we improve, the houses that we remodel and redesign, move things around. It's so tempting to sit down in the chair at the end of a project or as you move into a new home and to take a deep breath and to find your blessings, to find your comfort in the house itself instead of in the God who gave you the ability to buy, to improve, to renovate, to remodel, to fix. The supplements, the ointments, the pills, the diets, the exercise regimens, all these natural solutions, things that God has created, blessings that improve our health inside, that improve our health outside, to find our comfort in that, that new solution, that, that new plan, that new thing. 
How easy for goodness and comfort for those things to become gods in and of themselves instead of the God who created all that stuff and gives it to us as a blessing. Technology, the list goes on and on. We know as well as anyone what this next generation of Israelites was about to experience. This week, in the little take-home Bible study, I'm going to encourage you to write out a list of every single source of goodness or comfort you've ever had in your life. Every single one you can think of. Every God you've ever worshipped. If you're like me, the list is going to be pretty long. And make no mistake, the one true God will be on that list. He better be. You're all Christians. You, you all know the grace of God, the love of God, the goodness of God, the comfort that he offers. He will be on your list. But see, that's the problem. He'll be one God on a list of many gods. And that doesn't cut it with him. He's not content to be one God of many gods. He's not content to be one God on your list of countless gods. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord. One. Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord. One. Not, not one of many. <laughs> one. Idolatry is the first commandment for a reason. It's the one that we all struggle with. It's the one that Abraham struggled with, the one that Isaac struggled with, the one that Jacob struggled with. It's the one that the Israelites were going to struggle with. It's the one that we struggle with. It's the first one for a reason. And it's the reason that only one God will do. Because there's only one God who can actually provide the good things and the comfort that idolaters like us need. It's the God who loves the unlovable, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God who came to them, not because they were so wonderful, but because he is so wonderful. It's the God who made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob that they would have children who would become a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. The God who promised these men who did not deserve his promises that his descendants would have a land to live in, a land of luxury, a land of blessing. The God who promised that one of their offspring, one from amongst the nation of descendants, would be a blessing not only to them but to every single nation on earth. Yahweh himself, the Lord himself, the Lord who is one himself, taking on flesh, never once having a list of gods, but always having one God and one God alone, his whole life, who then took every single sin of idolatry that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Israelites, you and me, every single man, woman, and child to ever live, would ever commit, all those examples of idolatry, all those gods that you're going to find on your list, and he crossed them out one by one as he nailed them all to the cross and left them there forever, leaving you with a list 
of one God. One God and one God alone. You see, this is what the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was going to come to do. He was going to come and remove every single false God from the list. That's what it means to forgive sin. That's what it means to take away sin. To make sure that we're not people with many, many gods, but a one God people. A one God life. You see, the reason that the Lord and the Lord alone will do is because he's the only one who can fix the list. He's the only one who can take us and make us one God people. He's done that through the cross and empty tomb of our Savior Jesus, Yahweh himself in the flesh. You see, that was the difference between the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had many gods. Many, many gods. He had his good things. Many good things. He was comforted every day of his life. And Lazarus here had no good things, so it seemed. (laughs) And had no comfort, so it seemed. Except for the fact that he had God's word, which revealed to him the one true God. The source of the only good things and the only comfort that truly matters. The forgiveness of all of his sins. And so he enjoys good things forever. He enjoys comfort forever. Because Lazarus had a one God life. This is why Yahweh and Yahweh alone will do. The Lord. He is the only God who can give us a one God life. So leave here today knowing that all your sins of idolatry have been wiped away. Leave here today with one God. Amen.